0: a new documentary about the search of redemption in the life of somebody who did admit to committing the crime they were jailed for. And Tom Cruise takes on the role of the hulking Jack Reacher in a series of movies based on a very famous series of books, which with, we are talking to the author of today because we have Lee Child with us talking about the documentary Life in Life, which he executive produced, and both Jack Reacher and Jack Reacher Never Go Back Starring Tom Cruise, here on Overdue Rentals. Welcome back to Overdue Rentals, everybody. The show where we're talking about films that for some reason just don't get talked about the way they once were. I'm Matthew Shuckman.
1: And I'm Cinema Blend's Mike Reyes.
0: And yes, as you heard... I, it's one, you know what, again, I
1: say this so many times, I I never thought that we'd just be like chatting with Lee Child, man. Oh, you know, I, I had always heard the name Lee Child, but I, I knew he wrote the Jack Reacher books, but that's just like saying anybody can know, oh, I know of James Patterson. I know he wrote the Alex Cross books and that's easy to say, but to the 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 whole reality of actually speaking to them and getting to know them is a completely different reality and this is a wonderful reality that we got to experience yeah
0: yeah you know, look I mean not to say that it's out of the realm of every possibility of talking to somebody like him but he's he's almost like a uh, like he's he's almost like a myth in his own right some somehow you know and so it's like you know hey yeah you want to talk to Lee Child oh yeah you want want to talk to one of the like nicest people in the world
1: sure. Oh yeah, well, I mean, as as people are gonna, as you're gonna hear on the show, but you can also read from his uh, sort of his biography. The man worked in television for a while, and then once he was basically let go, he decided, okay, I'm going to write a novel, and I'm gonna do what I have to do to to make it out in the world of literature. And if I remember correctly, he writes a new book, either he starts a new book or publishes a new book on the anniversary of that that decision oh i didn't didn't go that far oh well come on man it's lee child you gotta go that far especially uh, you know what let's just get into it because it it it, i got a lot of things to say about jack reacher i got a lot of things
0: to say about a lot of things but with that let's have lee child come on into the overdue rental store coming up to the counter uh we got to check your id got to make sure you are who you say you are got to make sure you're not carrying any hidden weapons let's do this he is the weapon lee thank you so much for your time first of all it was it's such a pleasure having you here
2: my pleasure to be here thanks for the invitation guys
0: well i mean look i i think we should just jump off though with the very obvious and jump into how you got involved with telling reggie's story
2: well that was uh a friendship I had with a woman called N.C. Haiken, who is a documentary maker. We have been friends for a long time. I'm trying to work it out, possibly 20 years. Uh, she's a documentary maker. I'm a novelist. And therefore, both of us, we live and breathe a story. So that inevitably, uh, whenever we bump into each other, which is quite often, you know, at mm. a, party or a dinner or something like that. We spend like seven seconds on the polite small talk, how are you, how's the family? And then inevitably, immediately, one or other of us says, hey, I heard about a guy who, whatever. And we're immediately deep into that story, looking at it, twisting and turning, checking it out. One night, she told me about the story of Reggie Austin, who was just out of prison after 35 years. And I I was immediately fascinated because I found it a very challenging story. Because I've been, I have a law degree from decades ago, and I've a lifelong interest in in criminal justice and uh, jurisprudence. But every involvement I've had in the nonfiction world so far has been about wrongful conviction, where you're in prison for a crime you did not commit and i just feel that has got to be the worst possible thing i mean can you imagine how that feels um but it is a very simple dynamic in terms of the ethics and the morality of that situation it's very straightforward wrongful conviction is bad uh, and we have to fix it and that's all we need to know but the reggie Austin's story was was challenging because it's not a wrongful conviction. It was an absolutely righteous conviction. When the guy was in his early 20s, high on drugs, he murdered his girlfriend, and that is an indisputed. He did it, he did the crime, he did the time. He, uh, he confessed, he pled guilty, he went to prison, and he set about reforming his life. He set about rehabilitating himself. A lot of it through the power of music, because he's a great jazz pianist, Mm -hmm. but it was fundamentally about could he turn his life around? And to me, that was a really interesting question. Do we believe in rehabilitation? You know, obviously, it's a liberal touchstone. We say, yeah, of course, you know, prison is about uh, sequestering dangerous people away from the public. We get that. Prison is about punishment to a certain degree. We get that. But we believe prison should be about rehabilitation too. It should give people the opportunity and the resources to become better people. Do we believe that? When we're lying awake at night, how would we feel about an ex-con being our neighbor? Do we believe it? That's what I found challenging about this story. Do we believe it? And then you meet Reggie Austin and you realize, yes, of course, yeah, absolutely, this totally (laughs) worked. This is a terrific guy. He's completely open about what he did in his 20s, and he's completely open about his struggle to become a different person, and he is secure and unshakable in his new persona. No question about it. This is the poster boy for rehabilitation. So then the movie became really about, does the parole board believe in rehabilitation? Mm. And this guy was turned down 12 times And along the way, while we were doing that aspect of the movie, that was the summer of George Floyd and Derek Chauvin. And we found out that most places, a parole board is is a professional person from the prison system plus two retired cops. And we very suddenly realized that these parole boards could be, there could be two Derek Chauvins on these parole Mm -hmm. boards. Is that right? Is that fair? Is it working that way? And the answer is actually, no, it isn't. It is not working uh, like it should, because you have got these characters who are clearly turned around. They've clearly made the change to being uh, sober and responsible members of society, and that is not being recognized until far too late, which then begs yet another question why is it so late and it there seems to be a lot of evidence that they get out when they're old because that is when they're starting to cost the prison system a lot of money because of health care and that is kind of the tragedy which then leads to the next layer which is all right these guys get out of prison after three or four decades into a world that they absolutely do not recognize they cannot function i mean you know what it's like every single thing you gotta have a phone for now and these guys have never seen a phone you know and they, they leave them with like almost no money to start with yeah virtually no money virtually no prospect of employment um often sick so that is even more difficult for employment what do we do how do we manage that we've got to help them And I completely understand nobody is going to feather bed these guys. Nobody is going to throw loads of money at them, but there's got to be a better way of doing it. Uh, So all of these issues came up, which I found very nonlinear and very challenging, not simple at all. And so I thought "This, this is a story that is worth getting out there. Let people hear this story and maybe... It will be one tiny grain of sand that eventually produces some kind of change for the better.
1: But this is a very important grain of sand because this is really what we should be focusing on in the whole incarceration debate because of things like recidivism rates. And ultimately, uh, people love to bring up the the argument of, oh, it's costing us so much to keep these people in prisons. Why don't we just put them to death? And it's like, OK, first of all, you're opening up the legal, I mean, the uh, ethical question of, why are we putting people to death? And then, of course, you're opening the social question of, well, if they cost so much to be in prison, why are we keeping them in there
2: for so long? Yes, quite. And, you know, that loops back to the wrongful conviction thing, that if you're going to be putting people to death, you better be damn sure that they are actually guilty of what you say they are. And there's enough doubt there that I know that over the past decade, several states have, have imposed a moratorium on on the death penalty for that exact reason they can't be sure and there is nothing worse i think for a society to than to execute somebody who then is proved innocent you know that has happened dozens of times and it should give us such shame it should give us such determination to change the system but we don't Uh, and we have to uh, But that's wrongful conviction. The thing about rightful conviction where people have turned their lives around, um, you've gotta be sure. I mean, I see it from both sides, you know, I can see the appeal from from the general public's point of view in these rather brisk, hostile policies towards lawbreakers, Uh, like the third strike law, which again, this documentary shows in such a bad light. Yeah. I get the appeal to voters, you know, they're, they have no sympathy, no empathy for how other people live. And they say, yeah, you've had two chances. You've done it a third time. Screw you. And uh, but as you see from the documentary, you have people in there who look just the nicest guys who are effectively in jail for the rest of their lives for kiting a check or stealing a candy bar. And we have to say, I think, that the three strikes was an experiment that has failed, just like the war on drugs was an experiment that has failed. And, you know, are we not grown up enough to say, yeah, that failed, let's change?
0: It also comes to a strange crossroad where we're seemingly at now as a society where it's not even thinking about just felonies and and serious crimes it seems like redemption in a general seems to be like a bad word now like you did something wrong that's it people are not going to allow anymore for people to change even if they had some great awakening
2: well i think there's a lot of hypocrisy in that sort of attitude it depends who they're talking about Um, you know redemption and forgiveness seems to work fine for certain politicians Uh, you know if their party needs them to win an election they're prepared to say, yeah, forgiveness, forgiveness. Uh, you know, they can get past practically anything. And yet when it's an individual convict, not so much. And uh, the same rule should apply to everybody. I'm, you know, I'm sticking up here for, for both sides. I'm a member of the public as well as uh, interested in this subject. And I get it. I get. I understand the feeling on both sides. We need yeah. to have an open conversation. And we need to say, yeah, there are a lot of bad guys in prison, really awful specimens, and we're gonna keep them there forever. We've gotta be able to say that at the same time as saying, but there are people that are there when they don't really need to be, and there are people who have changed. So let's look at people as individuals with sensitivity toward their individual situation, and let's react individually and uh, treat, treat it on a case-by-case basis.
0: Yeah, case-by-case basis is something that seems to be lost a lot of times nowadays, in everything.
2: It really does. You know, we, we, we like to think in broad generalities and rather than at a granular level. And this is something that, you know, in the case of Reggie Austin, he's a really, really talented uh, jazz pianist. And let's say that he's gotten out, I don't know, 15 or 20 years earlier. Uh, when it first became obvious that he had reformed, he could have contributed a lot to society. He could have made records. He could have played clubs. He could have made money for everybody. He could have brought joy and happiness into everybody's lives. And that was just wasted. That was thrown away because of a very solid and unrelenting ideology about policy where the policy should be a lot more responsive and a lot more flexible. Yeah,
1: it's just, again, it's it's absolutism. It's absolutism to the cause of the greater good. But the thing is, whoever's in power and in charge of the debate is ultimately who decides what that is. And unfortunately, there are consequences and interpretations that go with that.
2: There are, and those interpretations inevitably come from a previously fixed offensive of point of view that you think you know it all, you think that Uh, you know how things are going to work out. You think you know who people are. Uh, I I think we've got to be humble enough to say, actually, we don't, and we need to check regularly. Um, It could have been that Reggie Austin got worse and worse, in which case, sure, keep him banged up for the rest of his life. But if you have a guy who obviously has changed, and it's not just him, there are many, then let's respond to that. Uh, it, it'll contribute to society. It will also save us a lot of money.
1: While it is an honor to be talking about this documentary, we here at Overdue Rentals also like to shine some light on movies that we think should get more love. And since we had the opportunity to talk to you, the creator of one, Jack Reacher, uh, we thought it would be a really cool opportunity to discuss the two Tom Cruise movies that came out of your franchise. And I just wanted to open that subject up by asking, uh, obviously, there were a whole bunch of conversations between the publication of The Killing Floor in 97 to when you actually got to make Jack Reacher. Uh, what Were there any incarnations or actors attached previously that you were really excited to see but just didn't get off the ground?
2: Uh, well, attached is a big word, isn't it? Based on, uh... <laughs> maybe
1: maybe circling or... Exactly, yeah.
2: One of is for a maybe circling rumored to be interested in maybe being attached, we had a, uh, a slew and uh, some really, really interesting, uh, some really interesting choices, including uh, uh, Black Reaches and, uh, uh, you know, Howie Long, the um, mm. football player. You oh, know, wow. Would he make it into acting? I I liked Dwayne Johnson a lot at one point. Um, and Dwayne really liked Reacher and I think would have been a good fit, but it was the wrong time uh, for him. In other words, you know, he wasn't quite yet big enough that he was gonna bring the financing that somebody like mm. Tom Cruise could bring. So there are a million little thing, uh, f- factors just always circling that will make it either happen or not happen and um so yeah we went through a bunch of possibilities and that was i mean that was just hilariously good fun from my point of view i i mean literally one <laughs> one year i was on book tour and uh i was um it was a sort of round the world thing and i was in the uk on that segment of the book tour. And I was going from one provincial town to another provincial town on this little rattly train. And um, my phone rang while I'm on this bizarre little train. And it's George Clooney who wants to talk about producing a version of Reacher with Matt Damon uh, as Reacher. And so I'm sitting there on the train, rattling along, you know, bouncing in my little seat talking to George Clooney about Matt Damon um, it was such fun for years and uh and then you know it solidified around the deal that we did in 2005 uh which was with um, Paramount basically and a bunch of other producers attached one of which was Cruise Wagner which was uh Tom Cruise's company at the time and uh They saw, everybody saw the appeal of Reacher, but the casting was clearly going to be a huge problem. And the second huge problem was going to be that Reacher as a book is one of those things that Hollywood buys with tremendous enthusiasm because they're best-selling books. It's a big identifiable character. They buy it and then they think, oh shit, what have we got here? Yeah. Half of this action takes place inside the guy's head. How do we get that on the screen? So there were a lot of problems, but that uh, Paramount deal produced just the greatest screenplay. It produced a really, really great screenplay by Christopher McQuarrie. And um, obviously the screenplay is then circulated amongst all the producers as information and as a courtesy. And Tom Cruise as, at that point, purely a producer, uh, read the screenplay and loved it. And in the long term, that has produced a great friendship and partnership between Cruz and Macquarie. And in the short term, it produced this thing where Tom just loved the screenplay and said, I want to play this. I want to play this guy. And uh, so that then launched us into a difficult decision, really, because... On the one hand, uh, I knew that the readers were going to object to the contrast in physicality between the character as portrayed in the book and Cruise on the screen. On the other hand, here is the world's biggest movie star essentially saying, would you mind if I spent $200 million promoting your brand around the world? And what am I going to say to that? (laughs) So it was uh I was really happy to do the movies with Cruz. And I have to say it was a it was a wonderful, enjoyable, illuminating experience. Uh Cruz was a lovely man. Um, absolutely nothing like uh how he's represented in, yeah. in, in the popular media. Uh especially because he was he is the world's biggest movie star, but he has surprisingly little ego. Nothing was ever about him. Uh, at the beginning of every scene, we would have a little discussion, you know, a little quick confab, uh, con fab. And it was, the question was always, uh, it was not, how do I make myself look bigger, look better in this scene? It was always about, what does the story need here? And, to the point where Cruz was actually giving away a lot of the best lines to the supporting cast. Mm. Um, I remember at one point in the second movie, we we basically had to say to him, Tom, come on, this is a Tom Cruise movie, you can't (laughs) give all the lines away. And uh, it struck me, first of all, how little ego he brought to it, and secondly, how fascinated he was about the art of storytelling. So I loved working with him on both of those movies. And I felt that the first one especially was just a really cool piece of work. Uh, You know, it had a look, it had a feel, it had a style that was utterly consistent, and uh, it worked fantastically well. And I've been on planes, for instance, where the guy next to me is watching it on, on on the little screen. And you can see it totally, totally works as a movie. And and I love to watch it without the sound. You know, I love that situation where you're eavesdropping on somebody else's screen. You're not hearing it, but you're looking at it. It looks great. It works visually. It flows. I loved it. Yeah, it was a really, really good movie as a movie. I would say that, you know, it is frustrating from a novelist's point of view, the compression required to cut it down into Hmm. effectively 90 minutes of usable time uh whereas the amazon seasons that we're doing now it feels like an unbelievable luxury to have (laughs) eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours or whatever it's going to be to tell a story that is so you know people say streaming television is novelistic and i think that is a very uh a very sort of superficial description, to be honest. But where it does seem to be true is in the, in the running time. Uh, you know, you can binge that thing and sit there for eight hours, which is about what it takes to read the book. And so the, the experience is similar. Like that, you can always add things. Like
1: if you want to go back and personally drop in for an episode and say, oh, I think I want to do an extra chapter on Reacher's backstory or, or something like, there's always that expansion especially when it comes to later seasons
2: exactly and with such a lot of original material because you know i i there are 27 books now and i would love it if this thing ran for 27 <laughs> you know that would be great but probably it won't you know let's in, in your wildest dreams it, it might do 8 or 10 and so that means that for every season that you do, you can cannibalize other books for the good parts, bring him in, illuminate the backstory, illuminate other versions of his character. In the first season on Amazon, for instance, there was a whole thing with a dog. Somebody was uh, mistreating that dog and Risha was all upset about it. That was not in the original book. It was There were hints of it in other books and they just brought it into that first season to bolster up their portrayal of Reacher. So yeah, you've got that flexibility. It's such a luxury to have time. I'll tell you what, that if if, if long form streaming television had been invented 30 years ago, uh, no novelist would ever sign a deal for a feature film anymore. Mm. It's such a better translation to uh, to the long-form television.
1: Goodbye to the miniseries.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, and also the... the uh, I, we, I used to work in television, so I'm totally familiar with... But that is like eight generations ago now in terms of how television has developed. And this thing that streaming television has, this narcotic, hypnotic quality that is designed you know, you finish the episode and in the bottom right of the screen, it's ticking down to the next episode. It is designed to make you watch the next one. And that is something that is new. That kind of um, hypnosis or compulsion is something that I don't recognize from the days of weekly appointment television. It's not quite the same. It is kind of the same as with a novel because that's exactly what you're trying to do in a book that at the end of the chapter you want them to read the next chapter and i love getting the letters from people that say i was wrecked at work today because i was up till 4 a.m finishing the book i think (laughs) great great that the plan is working and it's the same thing with streaming television you know people people i know people who told me they they were going to spin it out one episode a night and they couldn't they had to watch it all in one go and that proves that something is working.
0: We're going to have to wrap things up shortly and I'll let you go. But to, to, to go back then to just the Tom Cruise versions of the, of the story, it also must have been wonderful because, yes, you see all of that quote unquote fan backlash at first, like saying that, oh, he stature wise even wouldn't fit it. But the fans were on board when the movie came out. They understood how much it worked. It must have been a great feeling that all of this came together like that.
2: It was, and, and the tribute to Tom himself that, you know, he knew that he was not the same physically, but he was really there about the internals. He really captured the personality and the and the thinking and the attitudes really well. And uh, he was very unabashed about it. He knew that he was shorter than Reacher and, and half the weight, but he was, uh, in fact, we had a joke about it at one point in in that first movie, there's a scene where uh, he, he, somebody starts a fight with him in a sports bar and they go out to the street outside and it's him against five people uh we shot a sort of fun version where he goes one two three four what you were expecting somebody bigger and uh, you know he knew it he, he knew it he took it on and i thought the internals were great and I, I, I'm i so glad that we did it. I, wouldn't, I, I don't regret it in the least little bit. And it was a tremendous experience working with him.
1: Now, before we do go, uh, I was very curious about whether or not you had gotten any details about the third film that Tom and Christopher McQuarrie were apparently developing as late as 2020, because they had said that, uh, well, Christopher McQuarrie said in an interview that he wanted to do like an R-rated reacher, and they were still very much interested in it, even though things had sort of moved on to the Amazon series.
2: Yeah, I mean that was the uh, something that people don't necessarily realize about about making movies is the tyranny of the rating. Is something that is on your mind all the time. I mean, literally all the time. It is, uh, you know, can we get away with this? Is this still PG or is this now R? Um, if we show somebody getting smacked in the face and there's a little half inch of blood trickling out of their nose. Okay, that's PG. If it's an inch long, that's R. You know, crazy, just constant obsession with the rating was an issue, uh, which doesn't happen, obviously, with uh, on streaming television. And so, yeah, their idea was to abandon the uh, PG and go straight for an R audience, which I think would have been... Uh, a lot more similar to what Amazon actually did without the tyranny of the rating. Um, And I think it would have worked well. I mean, I I love Cruise. I love Macquarie in particular. I mean, he's a really smart, talented guy. And uh, seeing what he did with the first movie, if you'd said to him, okay, cut loose, go for the balls of the wall R-rated for the third movie, I would have loved to see what that that was. But um, yeah, we never got there. Thank you
0: so much for your time. It's been great speaking with you. Have a great rest of the day. You bet. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye. And Lee Child, everybody, thank you so much. Lee Child, who I, you know, to this day, not to this day, because now I know, but like I never realized it was a pen name for a long time.
1: Yeah. No, I, I was kind of surprised too, just sort of doing the research for the show. And it's like, wait a minute. Lee Child's not his name. You know, the man's the <laughs> actual name is James Dover Grant. And I mean, that's just another one of those unassuming sort of realities where, you know, he's writing this American retired military hero. And it's like, why I I wanted to ask him, but I, I never got to because the conversation just, the conversation went in so many different wonderful ways that I never got to ask him. But like one of the standard, you know, Pat sort of questions like, okay, why did you decide to write a, a like, a, a, the American soldier archetype? And I'm wondering if maybe he just did that because it's pure fantasy and just, you know, it's, it's sort of fun to, to do that. And it's just, you know, you, it, again, it is such a popular archetype.
0: Yeah. You know, look, I mean, what I think we'll do is we'll talk more about that too. When we get to the Jack Reacher portion of this, I, you know, I, for people who have not yet to see life and life, which will be available, you know, for, for um, purchase and, or rental through home video options uh, this February, you know, um, it's also interesting because again it's 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 interesting to see him connected to something where it's obviously you know the idea of criminal justice as a broad term let's say could be something that 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 whether or not it's part of his background based on his writings is makes sense that he's he's also a part of and this is this is a story about uh, somebody who does it. he admits to what he did he did do it even though serving the time frame that he should have served you know and and showing enough of uh, you know you can easily again as a broad term say good behavior um probably was just left through the system anyway because um you know a lot of people don't get opportunities to to really show who they are i guess to to uh, to uh, to uh, the people who quote unquote matter um, so this is almost like a chance happening that, that you know, almost his parole finally happened in a lot of ways. And um, it's more about, you know, what comes of that after than
1: worrying about the actual crime itself. But at the same time, you look at the people that are on those parole boards and you look at the meetings that he had to go through. And a movie that this documentary could draw some parallels to is Shawshank Redemption, because it's almost like mm. the parole process where – it's not so much he isn't rehabilitated it's just the parole board itself kind of has its own prejudices and its own workings that they they don't feel he's he's made the grade by their biased standards and you see that in in life for life life for life was the name of the the document correct yeah life and life I, I, yeah i had it there i just wanted to make sure because i know there was multiple titles that were in the the press materials that we got so <laughs> i wanted to make sure i had the right one yeah. But yeah, that's, it's, it's, it, again, it gets to a point where the prisoner can be pretty reformed, but the board itself doesn't, they're not convinced.
0: Yeah. You know, it, that, and then especially that, you know, that gets turned, like, that's like a big part of also the opening of the movie. And then like, like this is almost a movie. Like you don't want to talk too much about a lot of the details especially what happens when he does come out into the regular world, because that's what you want to discover. Um, But it it is, it is, as we discussed, you know, it's, it's it's a, it's a, it's a different side of things that people don't really get to see or talk about as much because they're so caught up in, they are caught up in more of, and I understand why the wrongful accusations and the, you know, the, 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 the uncovering of real truths, as you may put it, um, where, again, and I know I say this a lot, and I know I said it when we talked to Lee, but, you know, I and mean, then there's different levels of of redemption as well, but the idea that somehow, I remember growing up and the redemption story was like, that's what you wanted. That's, you know, like, that's what you that's what you strive for. Now people don't want to give, now it seems people don't want to have, ha- let people, even in real life, have the opportunity of redemption. Not saying they wouldn't do that for Reggie, um, but just in a lot of other cases, it just, it feels strange. And again, if somebody does something wrong, then that's, that's a different story, but.
1: Yeah. Also to correct ourselves, it's life and life. It was that's what I said, really life called... and life. Oh, I thought we said life for life.
0: No, no, life, life and life, as in.
1: Okay. So and life and, and life when you see the, the when you the see
0: the, when people see the, the, um, the, you know, the poster for it, it's life with four bars under it showing yeah. prison bars and then life. With the twisted blue, blue note bars showing, I mean, yeah. yes, it's, it's, there's blue note bars because of the music, but technically just, you know, real life outside in the world. Uh, and the film was originally being...
1: called Life Crime, which I, I can see why they named it that because of just that horrible legal language where they call a murder a life crime. Yeah. It sounds well, like very Huxley when you look at it. Yeah. I mean, uh...
0: It's something that it's something that you, you can still it, it there's there's good reason to still be upset about these things that, that happen and I understand there's only so much that some of us can actually do about it or um affect it in any way but doesn't mean you still shouldn't be angry or upset or interested even
1: oh no absolutely and I, this was a really it not that they mentioned that this was a very interesting documentary that took on a subject that could get very maudlin very easily and i feel yeah. like this this documentary skipped over that and was just very direct with what it was saying and what it was doing and like you look at reggie and you can tell that he's not he's not trying to put one over on anybody he knows what no. He, no, he no 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 is.
0: absolutely but then like, like another for instance i remember reading an article about um I don't remember what year it was. I remember like the crime happened in the 80s. And I don't remember so much of it, but it's basically a woman who befriended the man who murdered her brother, which is why he was in jail. She even helped him get released later, she gave him some housing for a little bit, and there was a there was a time where he would lash out a little bit when things weren't going his way after he was out, you know, not not in physically but, you know, there's there's an, there's an institutionalized side of things and a not being part of normal society kind of things that can happen to anybody, which is where the parole board kind of gets their ideas of like, well, it doesn't matter what's happened here and all these other things. And so even but that's the thing, Reggie, even though you can see flashes of not the same thing, but even though you can see flashes of slight frustration with certain things, it's clear <laughs> of who he is as a person.
1: No, absolutely, and I I'm going to be very interesting, to, very interested to see what the reaction to this is because I I believe this is releasing next year. Well, the the it's it's basically it, it
0: had special showings in certain places, but the the easy availability for people will be in February.
1: But this is overdue rentals. We are here to talk about films that are 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 well past their due, and Jack Reacher. I really liked that first Jack Reacher movie I will admit I didn't get to I didn't get to load the second one before he we <laughs> went on because I tried renting it and just something got screwed yeah. up but I did watch Jack Reacher one and wow that is some solid neo uh, sort of like across like it's right on the border of pulp and neo Noir in a sense and yeah, it's just yeah. very I need to I need to read these books now
0: well i mean just quickly going back though to what you originally were saying about you know why he chose to ask asking, asking him why he chose to write about this type of character i mean he was that's, he wasn't jack reacher himself he didn't do like certain things but like it, it comes from his own military experience and actually apparently from his uh dismissal or dischargement from the military um and that that kind of you know bred a little bit of, of who jack reacher is and uh but that was the thing, like, look, we, we said it during the interview, and a lot of people know already, you know, if you, even if you haven't read the books, like, Jack Reacher is supposed to be this massive, hulking, quote-unquote, not quote-unquote, but, like, technically a monster of a man that, that you know, people could just fear just by looking at him. And so the idea of Tom Cruise playing him, like, at first rubbed people the wrong way, but the way they saw the movie, I'm like, yeah, they, they said, yeah, physically he doesn't match, but yeah, <laughs> he did a good job, and this was when it came out it was a hit i mean it 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 more than doubled its 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 budget and um people people were were really high on it but it doesn't seem people talk about it anymore and not anymore i mean like almost like a year and a half two years after they just weren't talking about it
1: well yeah i mean you look at uh jack Reacher came out in 2012 and what was it never back down came out in 2015 i want to say i I think it was 26 i think maybe 2016 uh... Let's never go back, by the way. Never go back. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Twenty sixteen.
1: Yeah. So you're looking at a four year difference there, and that first movie, as you said, did pretty well. Uh sixty million budget and two eighteen for the gross. Yep. So they 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 roll the dice again. Sixty five million on a budget, and then one sixty two for the the turnout, which. Okay, that's still yeah, still it's decent, still. It- but when you've got Tom Cruise in the lead, and this is the middle of the in the middle of the Mission Impossible craze, like you would think that that would, and especially when the first one did so well, you'd think it would make more money. But by the time this one was said and done, uh, Lee Child kind of admitted that yeah, we didn't one hundred percent cast correctly. But of course, he had a lot of fun with it, and then after that point, he's like, you know what, we're doing it again. I'm going to cast that. We're going to cast this character right this time. And then they got Alan... Oh, I, don't think, I, I don't think they... I wouldn't say he said... Well, he didn't say incorrectly. In terms of, in terms of physicality, not in yeah, terms it was of... Even, but even still, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like casting more accurately to the book. And that, that just kind of reminds me of... Again, going back to James Patterson, I remember he was like kind of upset that they cast Morgan Freeman as Alex Cross because he felt that that was like casting the character too old. Yeah, and then they yeah. go and cast uh uh tyler perry yeah well
0: now now there's well there's, there's now already two more alex crosses after that because they have the tv show they did with i can't remember who did, it, who did it in the tv show now my brain i know there's
1: going to be a tv show i don't no, know that's,
0: that's well no TV there's, there's yeah. a there's another tv show now but there there already was a tv show um tv hold on let me uh there yeah, was Aldous
1: Hodge was just announced to play that's the new one yeah uh, across soon
0: but there's there was one before that um i don't think there, there was i'm pretty sure there was what am i you thinking mean, of two
1: morgan freeman movie you're probably thinking of luther
0: no i'm not not thinking of luther i'm not that stupid
1: <laughs> not saying you're stupid i'm just saying you might have crossed wires
0: no you know what i am thinking of though well, I do, I do have Crosswise, but I was thinking of the Lincoln Rhine, the Bone Collector TV series.
2: Oh that's what yeah. I was thinking of.
0: But I thought I, for some, I, I thought there was another Alex Cross somewhere in there. So that, that is my fault. But um, okay. but you know, but what's interesting too, because you know, talking about the idea that Christopher McQuarrie wanted to make the third one was that the second movie was, I mean, yes, Christopher McQuarrie produced it, but different director. Christopher McQuarrie did not write it. And I, I I mean, you don't have to necessarily do every one, but it, it did seem interesting that like it was like a gap with missing missing him writing it and or being uh, near the director's chair, maybe possibly instead. And then um, just wanting to come back and do it again.
1: That's that's the magic Christopher Macquarie, man. I I love his work. I love his style. And you could definitely feel both when it came to that first Jack Reacher movie. But at the same time, it's not just him going and making, oh, we're doing Mission Impossible. But with this different character, like Jack Reacher in an environment and in character is very much different from Ethan Hunt. Like oh, he's yeah. soft spoken, he, but he's still at the same time, he's got the right lines from people People want to step up and he warns them every step of the way. It's like, you don't want this. And then
0: I'd say, I'd say he's smarter than Ethan Hunt too.
1: To be fair. Yes, Ethan Hunt is a little more impulsive and a little more emotionally driven. Jack Reacher is very much like a great white shark, like the how people would describe a great white shark with like that intellect and that precision. Like he's not just willy nilly about anything; he goes in with a plan, and the plan pretty much sticks. I
0: I, I have uh, there's two things I kind of want to say though, and uh, so hopefully I won't go too on a, too far off in a rant, and we'll come back to one of them after, but. What I also found interesting, which I, the one thing I didn't get to ask that I wanted to ask him was because Jack Reacher, and I know talks to make the movie started somewhere in like 2006 or something like that, but I know this is a character that they have been trying to bring to the screen for so long. And one way though, where it was going to be TV or film to the fact where there had been, you could see or people saw Jack Reacher's influence in other characters and other films. As if like I wanted this to be Jack Reacher, but I couldn't do it, so I made this movie instead. I remember doing the press junket for Olympus Has Fallen, and one guy is talking to the writers, and he's like, "You know, I kind of felt like it was a Lee Child book. Maybe it was like almost Jack Reacher for the Gerard Butler character. If we were you trying to do that?" And like, yes, we were, we were we were trying to channel a little bit of Jack Reacher into the character and uh i i've seen a few th- i can't remember all of them but i've seen a few people talk about characters that like yeah we want them to try and do jack reacher without doing quote unquote jack reacher
1: that makes a lot of sense actually yeah, that makes a- and now i'm wondering how gerard butler would have been as jack reacher but he probably <laughs> he would have been he would have been closer but you look at alan richard on that yeah. that amazon show and it's like yeah that's what everybody was talking about and like no offense to to tom cruise but or Matt Damon for that respect. Like <laughs> Matt Damon was another, that's another weird one. Where it's like, wow, yeah, yeah. a George Clooney produced Matt Damon starring Jack Reacher movie.
0: But it was even but what's funny about that story is that it's obviously around the same time that all of a sudden here's Matt Damon taking Jason Bourne to
2: the yeah.
0: world, you know. It was probably around the same time. So it's like, oh, you think about it, and it's like and that just meant that he went and went on and did this. Um I will say um, also two things. Uh, So now that my original two things is now three things. Because what I also found interesting is that how Lee had talked about um, when people first were thinking about trying to adapt it, it's like, oh, well, the the books, they take place in this guy's head. How do you translate it onto screen? But what I think is funny about that is if you go and look at the breakdown of the synopsis of the book, like if you go to Wikipedia and try and read what the, the book claims is the synopsis of the of the of the of the book that one shot, which is the, the original Jack Reacher is based off of.
1: Yeah, the ninth book. It's is. like it's
0: the movie. It's the movie plot. It's like it's so close. It's almost like dead on. Like they just transferred it one for one. So it's very interesting that you know because he sees it one way, but I'm sure other people see it another way. That uh, it really is truer than one may think. May he even may think.
1: No, yeah, it's uh, to get inside someone's head like that is very difficult and i haven't read the prose itself but i could just imagine like i think that that made him one of the ones that was i don't know if that was in first person or third person because i know the series alternates between the yeah two. they do yeah but funny actually, could, go ahead sir. i could see where that would be a, a difficulty for adapting some of these books cause it's like okay we can't really just we can't always do the sherlock holmes uh robert downey jr thing where it's like we've got the 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 voiceover going on underneath and everybody knows you know everybody's clued in because we're using this cute device.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it, it. the other thing that I would want to say is that I don't know how much this would take effect, but it should be worth mentioning that. Cause again, we, we, we read the box office for the first movie, 60 million for the budget, 218 million box office. Uh, but to talk about maybe the idea of why it could have been less, less talked about future on is like this movie itself even had its, Premiere postponed because of the Sandy Hook shooting, because there are, you know, there is a child in danger at the beginning of the movie or a victim at the beginning of the movie, and there's a possibility that things like that go into also why it took a, not a backseat, but uh, less of a spotlight in the public eye when people started talking about it.
1: Well, I just think it was it. It's another one of those cases where literature while it's still pulled from rather richly for films isn't as much the go-to as you would think. I mean, look, we talked about Funny Farm recently. Funny Farm was pulled from a book and adapted for the screen. And that, that used to be like, you know, Michael Crichton used to be the king of that sort of thing too, where a lot of his books were being pulled for cinematic inspiration. And now, I mean, you still have some, books being adapted but for the most part you really don't see too you don't see as many as you used to.
0: I don't know but I don't know if I can I can't agree and or disagree because I don't have solid numbers to go to on but I think that there are a lot more movies that are based off of books that you just don't realize because there are things like the obvious stuff where it's like either a famous book or it's like this is based on very clearly in the marketing stuff like you know because white noise is coming out like for instance but you know that's that's the that's the true measure of a good diehard movie. Well, not a good one because the bad ones too did this. But they're based on they're not only based on novels, but it became not just one novel series. It became we're just going to take some novel and just put ja- John McClane in it. And-
1: <laughs> yeah, but that those are blockbusters. You, you mentioned White Noise, and that's that's an awards play. So you still see a lot of awards plays. And then every now and then, like this year, they had when The Crawdad sang was like, I forget if it was an Oprah or Reese Witherspoon book club selection. I, do, I, but, don't, I don't mean to cut you off. But you're going to cut me off.
0: But I have to cut you off because I apologize. Because I had not yet seen Where the Crawdads sings, and I actually just watched it two days ago while I was visiting some friends. We decided to watch it.
1: It's fucking awful. Oh, so it's an already rental. <laughs> no, it's bad. It's just a bad movie. No, I know. Like, I, I think it did decently at the box office anyway and now it's like doing well with streaming so
0: yeah i don't know about the book without the, the movies are, sorry i apologize but i didn't realize you meant you meant talking about blockbusters based on books i'm sorry
1: no yeah like th- that that was just that was a big blockbuster source it was like nowadays you'll see that mostly for awards pushes yeah and i got gotcha. you sometimes like the it doesn't feel like the well is as plentiful for adapting books for blockbusters as it well,
0: used to be. I, I, to be honest with you, and, I, and I'm not trying to say they don't exist out there, but that's part, that's probably bl- to blame because of Hollywood's obsession with, you know, creating these franchises because they basically are pulling from the already large franchises. They are pulling from the Jack Reachers, the Alex Crosses, um, the, um, what was the, um, I just had in my head the other one. Um my brain just froze. Oh, well, the uh, is, the Jack the Jack Ryan's.
1: Yeah. Well, another thing is, it feels like well, that's it feels like that stuff's moving to episodic television, whereas the big feature film franchises are mostly pulling from YA. Like we're getting an, we're yeah. getting that Hunger Games prequel next year. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if someone actually does pull the trigger on a Twilight reboot or tries to do one of the retelling, one of the, like three retellings of Twilight that Stephanie Meyer wrote, because reasons. But be, be, YA seems to be the big uh moneymaker when it comes to bestsellers and pulling from from literature. Whereas adults, again, it's probably either awards bait or it's episodic television on prime. Sure. I mean and we're
0: going to episodic television, you know, it's, it's the fact I mean you can consider it YA if you want, you don't have to, but you know, the fantasy, you know, how the the Game of Thrones stuff and uh doing the lord of the rings tv series and stuff like that you know so th- those are still technically in production company minds blockbusters even if they're television
1: well but that's the thing it's it's two different mediums it, what i'm saying is it used yeah, to yeah i understand both of these books a lot for films and now uh, probably in for the better it's starting to move towards episodic television where the stories can be fleshed out and be told over a longer amount of time but then sometimes sure. you have something like a jack reacher where if you want to you can't scale it down but if you really want to you could also go and do a full season based on a book
0: and it's interesting yes because there as lee was talking about you know the idea of the, how television was is the best place for these kind of things so you can expand on it but i think there is not only just an art but i think there are certain things that don't even if it was based on a book. There are certain things that don't need that visually, which is why I appreciate that the fact that, that we still need films like this, and and you can have the TV show too, but uh, you know I, I I appreciate when when films can do it, and then, and then they do it, and then if they do it well.
1: No, exactly. I mean, it's it, it always brings it back to Roger Ebert's quote. It's like no bad movie can be short enough, no good movie can be long enough.
0: I also too think too short. I also think we should we would be remiss since we didn't get to talk about it with Lee to not mention the fact that the villain of the first Jack Reacher film of Jack Reacher is played by Werner Herzog.
1: None other than Werner Herzog.
0: And it's just like. It's one of those things for as many times as you see Werner Herzog just do the most random things sometimes, it's like when you hear about it and see you're just like, oh, come on, this is just going to be how can you not how can you not like it?
1: I know. I I absolutely love him as a villain in this. And then Jai Courtney is like his little lackey. Yeah. And just that, that wonderful, like that wonderful scene in the alleyway where the, the guy like screws up and then he's like, yeah. I, I, I did chew off your fingers. Hilbert, do you have a knife? I didn't have a knife.
0: I didn't have a knife when I tore off my own fingers, flesh to bone, with my lips. That's more my Christoph Waltz than my Werner Herzog. It's
1: the 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 border is very close, but just it. I I love that Werner Herzog enjoys doing these acting rules to to like bankroll his own work. It's like, sir, you've you've figured the system out. Like (laughs) even doing the Mandalorian.
0: But you know what, that was, for the longest time, it wasn't the only, it wasn't the first time, but that was the whole thing. When I was in film school, that was like the whole thing, like, you know, like, Robert Duvall does Gone in 60 Seconds so he can make The Apostle. You know, it's like... Exactly. That's why I actually, I ask questions like that to people a lot of times. I remember at the time it was different because at the time we thought it was going to go on forever. But I remember talking to John Bernthal before they finished or right as The Punisher came out and I said... You know, like, it's different than, than the, the MCU at that time, but, like, is there comfort in signing a contract for something like that, knowing that as long as you have the time, you can now spend maybe a little bit more time on those passion projects because of what you're making off of signing a Marvel contract?
1: Yeah, like, Punisher probably gave him the latitude where he could go do Wolf of Wall Street and Fury and not have to worry about anything.
0: Well, I mean, I was talking to him about... Uh, um pilgrimage and uh sweet um was it sweet virginia when you know real indie films you know um
1: oh, i'm sorry i didn't go indie enough for you sir well
0: no because that's the thing that's why look I, I think i've said this before in the podcast me but that was my whole thing where it's like scarlett johansson signing her marvel contract is maybe what makes it easier for her to do under the skin because she doesn't have to worry about if she has to take a you know, a job at scale because she's got the comfortability of what she's getting from the Marvel movies to to live whatever life she wants to live.
1: Yeah, but then the downside is you're making a movie like Under the Skin.
0: Under the skin's a good
1: movie. I agree to disagree.
0: You know that you know the story behind that movie, right? about her, her job her, her acting in that movie?
1: I know that it was all very cinema verite, like she's actually picking up on people and they don't know it's her. Yeah.
0: That's 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 what made me appreciate her more than anything. Except for the ones that know it's her. Well, yeah, but maybe. um but with that everybody, I think you should go make sure you get ready for February so you can watch Life and Life. And then go cross Jack Reacher and Jack Reacher uh oh shit. Hold on. Ah uh, now, now you made me that's for- it. You made me forget the name of the movie. And then make bah! sure. And then make sure you go cross off Jack Reacher and Jack Reacher never go back from your overdue rentals list. And then come on back, let us know what you thought. Let us know what you wanna talk about. But to do that, Mike, they gotta find us,
1: right? Oh, they do. And the world of social media is getting ever more complicated as the days go on. But for the meantime, when we're not busy trying to clear our names for crimes of high treason, uh or just trying to avoid bar fights because who wants to really get into a bar fight in the middle of the street where there's five guys against one and those are just the odds we like i don't know where that went but i know where you can go you can find us on twitter at rentals overdue on facebook at overdue rentals and on instagram at overdue rental show and matthew are there any new platforms we should be throwing out there
0: Mastodon. We're on Mastodon, people, just in case Twitter fails and gets destroyed like everything else.
1: Uh... At rentals at newsy.social is where you can find us on Mastodon. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I'm sure we'll have another platform at some point. Uh, I know a lot of people are jumping over to what, what, what was the name of that new one? Hive. We might start a Hive soon. And when we do, we'll let you know. But in the meantime, if you want to email us, uh, love letters, recommendations, uh, things you think could make the end of the show run smoother. I don't know. Uh, you can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. Also, while you're on the internet, looking up our past history of various 60-something shows, you can basically do just that on wherever, at whatever pa- platform you ethically source your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Audible, Uh, But while you are subscribing to those platforms and just giving us your listens, giving us your undivided attention, we want to know what we can do to keep the rental counter open. And in addition to emailing us, you can also rate review and subscribe to us on those various platforms. We would love to get comments from you. Uh, Basically we're, we're doing this out of the goodness of our hearts because we love running this virtual video store that just continues to suggest the best of the movies that you probably may not have heard of, or maybe you haven't heard of in a while, but that's the magic of overdue rentals. And with that, I believe it is time for Matthew and I to say a fond and hearty. -bye. bye Bye.